podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, a.k.a. Referees. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. We're, we're not going into, you know, how to donate on Patreon. We're not going to talk about our weekend. We're all just going to sit here and we're going to live in the moment that has been presented to Kansas City and the Kansas City Chiefs. What we just witnessed on Sunday, Kansas City, and people not in Kansas City, was the greatest sports game, sports slash event in history, in world history. If when, when Ted Williams wakes up from his cryo chamber in Scottsdale, Arizona in the year 2175, Ted Williams will come out of the cryo chamber. He'll go to the first person and say, oh my goodness, it worked. But he'll also say, what was the greatest game in sports history while I was away? And they would say, Ted Williams... It was January 23rd, 2022. Bills at Chiefs divisional championship game. And Ted Williams will go, let me see the footage immediately. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the craziest thing that you will ever witness in your life when it comes to sports. Anything that I can think of, referees. I'm trying to go back and think of, let's see, that one time, yes, the uh, the uh, Stanford game, you know, the, the marching band game. Not as exciting. Uh, let's see, how about uh, Yankees-Red Sox, game seven? Not as exciting. This game, this game, hold on, Reese, this game, Reese, you could not write a better script you cannot play on Madden on on easy mode and try to recreate what just happened. 13 seconds left and you score and then win the game and with 13 seconds left with the next Brady and Peyton Manning. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Fountain City Sports Media and we're about to live in this moment. Referees. That was my that that was my rant. I just I, I just want this to be on the interweb so that when you and I have children and our children have children and they're all sitting around the fire and then they go, tell us about the greatest story in America. And then we'll say, go back to Fountain City Sports Media the week of January 24th. Hello, Reese. How are you? Oh, man, I'm fine, except for the fact that, uh, you know, that scene from Airplane where, like, they're all trying to shake that some sense into that guy and they, like, pan out and, like, more and more people are waiting to, like, beat him up and there's a dude with a bat and a guy with a chain and all that stuff. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miracle yeah. on Ice, the Thrilla in Manila, uh, Jordan's Bulls versus the Stockton Utah Jazz 96 are all outside my door now lining up with their weapons to take credence and <laughs> opposition to what you just said. I don't said. care. 
magnitude wise, it was not the like highest pressure of games in comparison to the games that you have just said. But when it comes to thrilling, when it comes to probability of win, where it was a 95% chance that the Bills were going to win, and then all of a sudden, within 13 seconds, it was going to be a, a, a an 80 or 85% chance that the Chiefs are going to win, and the back and forthness of that game, the entire game, from one to four, maybe not the magnitude was high enough, but the excitement of it is a game that you will will never be recreated again. I will say this. Uh, one thing this game did that none of the other games I mentioned or bouts can boast is the fact that I really truly believe that this game elevated potentially the quarterback position as well as the game of football to a degree that hasn't been seen before. I think some people really wanted to argue that Chiefs-Rams back on Monday Night Football in 2019, that like 54-51 game, like that elevated football. And those were just two really outstanding offenses and two pretty bad, de- <laughs> pretty two pretty bad defenses at the time. Uh, this Cover one, two entered the chat. Front four entered the chat. Oh my to, gosh! To, to squash Rams, Rams Chiefs. Yeah, basically. Uh, but this one, no. Uh, this truly was the evolution of quarterback play. I think there's a new standard. I think people now see the blueprint as to what it takes to be an NFL team at the highest level. I'm not going to say ways of the past are completely gone forever, as is the case in the NBA. You know, like nowadays, the big thing is a three-point shot, right? Everyone's jacking up threes. You win by, like, shooting as many threes as you can. But there are still teams, as the Bucks proved last year, that you can go with kind of an old-fashioned, you know, one to five, different sizes, different roles, small ball approach, and still work. Uh, will that still work in the NFL going forward? Can you build the team completely on defense? Eh, Tennessee might show us uh, the answer might be no. But if we get a Legion of Boom type team put back together, eh, it's possible. But at the current moment, there is now an arms race in the NFL to find your Josh Allen, to find your Patrick Mahomes, and build an offense that as the game goes on and the defense gets tired, cannot be stopped. Yeah, that that's a really good point, and and I don't want to get too off topic, but because it's a good point, I'll sit on it a little bit to further your point. I think the prototypical body of a Lamar Jackson and a Kyler Murray are now extinct from people that are drafting quarterbacks. I think that was supposed to be the future or even the evolution of a Patrick Mahomes, but I think what people have seen is that you still you still need to throw in the pocket. You, you, of course, be mobile, but you have to have the size and the arm strength to still be a quarterback. So I think last night showed these scouts and everything that, you know what? This is it. Lamar Jackson, not it. Kyler Murray, not it. And I think that's why like Trevor Lawrence was drafted and not, you know, I don't know who else has a, a typical body type of, of Lamar Jackson, but... I think it's safe to say that uh, Kyler, the the uh, the uh, days of a Kyler Murray type or a Lamar Jackson type, are done. Dude, I want to mash you some around the horn points for that one because you made a really good point. You gotta be you gotta be the build of those old school statue pocket quarterbacks, but now you gotta be able to run. 
you know, gone are the days of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, with all respect, my all-time favorite turtler, Kurt Warner, you know, like pressure comes, <laughs> you just kind of like duck down and take the sack. Like, no, you better be able to, you better be able to step up. You better be able to roll out. You better be able to leapfrog some people and still keep that play alive. The play is not over because the defense says it over. The play is over when the ball hits the ground and the whistle blows it dead. Really, really, really good point. And before I, I toss you the uh, the uh, torch, I don't have it up in front of me, so I'm going to butcher it slightly, but only slightly. Um, if Patrick Mahomes gets 80, I believe 80 to 85 more rushing yards, he is now he he would become the rushing leader in Chiefs postseason history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think about it. You know, we haven't had a running back that's been the starting running back for more than one playoff run. You know, this year we have that running back by committee. Last year, again, was running back by committee. Year before that was Damian Williams. Damian Williams. Uh, Year before that, again, was Damian Williams because Kareem Hunt never stuck around. And then you're like, way before that, it's like, who did we have? Uh, Priest Holmes, maybe, but those were all one and done teams with Dick Vermeil before then. Like, right, and, and 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 Priest would have only played a couple playoff games if that. Oh yeah, and then like you're going back to the Marty Ball days. You know, it's like we have what Christian Okoye, but even then, I don't think right. <laughs> he couldn't have played more than two, maybe three playoffs. My memory serves right. I mean, that's really young, but. Yeah, it's just it's just a really crazy stat to think about, but I just want to throw that in there. Okay, Reese, now it's now it's your turn. It's your turn to live in the moment. I want you to go back to the game, the emotions that you felt, and then celebrating with Kansas City right after that game. Uh <laughs> That, that game was an emotional roller coaster for many reasons. I thought there were points in the game where both teams had it won, points in the game where both teams had it lost. Uh, I was very surprised to hear from friend of the podcast, Joel, who was up there in the 300 section saying a lot of people were leaving after the Bills scored that touchdown with 13 seconds left. I don't, I, you know, what I don't get though, and this has always been my mantra, particularly for an event of that magnitude. It's like if you're going to spend probably upwards of 150 bucks for a ticket and the game is not technically over to that degree i'm not talking like well if we get three onside kicks in the next minute we can still technically no screw that noise uh i'm talking 13 seconds left you got a chance you the bell ain't rung and you know you stay there in hopes of watching what happened here because because worst case scenario you know you get to witness a miracle or best case scenario, you get a witness a miracle. Worst case scenario, the game seems lost. It probably is lost, but beyond the point, my feelings at that very end with the 13 second drive was it was kind of weird. Uh, I wasn't mad. I was uh, at that point. You see in a lot of films where like one of the characters knows they're gonna die and like they're just kind of like accepted it. Uh, so, <laughs> and, th- and that's how it felt. And you know, it's, it's not like the Chiefs played bad. I'm like, you know what? The Bills played great. Uh, you know, it wasn't like Sorensen got put on an island all game and they picked him apart. You know, the Chiefs offense showed up. It wasn't like there was a game where there were a bunch of like tip drill INTs. It was like, no, this was, you know, a 15 round heavyweight knockout. It just seems like we didn't get the ball last and, you know, unfortunately we wouldn't get a chance for a real rebuttal. So I was like, you know what? This is the best way to go out. Honest to goodness, I had Buffalo Mike like queued up my phone to give him a call and ask him what kind of beer he wanted me to send or he wanted me to send to him. 
So, I mean, it, it, it kind of felt like that, you know, it's like, wow, sports at its best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, when Gabriel Davis made that 19 yard pass, well, first of all, going back to the Tyree kill 64 yarder, I mean that the, the euphoria that I felt during that time, I couldn't believe it. Right. Cause that, at that point, the bills only had a minute and two seconds left on the clock to go all the way from the 20 yard line to then score that 19-yard touchdown that Gabriel Davis had. So I thought it was in the books. Now, I wasn't bragging so much on the chat, but I had already like called my in-laws because they were watching the game as well, and they were already congratulating me. Like We couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, yep. just super euphoric. And I actually put it on Twitter. Uh, not on Twitter, sorry. I put it on Instagram. Y'all, you all can see me uh, going crazy during that Tyreek Hill 64-yard pass. Oh, yeah. Then the Gabriel Davis happens, and I text everyone, I'm pretty sure I've lost my soul. Oh. I said, I, I can't feel anything anymore. I mean, this felt like Buccaneers probably third quarter when you knew it was just, there was just no coming back. The, the, the gutting feeling, the emptiness that I felt to, to think this happened again. And like you said... There wasn't any particular reason for it other than we were decimated in our secondary and there was nothing that we can do about it. So I wasn't upset with Traverius Ward, you know, Fenton, Honey Badger. I mean, how am I going to get upset with DeAndre Baker? You know, okay, yes, DeAndre Baker's out there and, and he's getting, he's getting like, has no idea what's going on. Do I blame him for that? No. So mm. I wasn't angry. I was just helpless hopeless and i was like this is it i texted you i think good game and then i also texted mike good game with 13 seconds left yeah but boy did did i eat my words man man and then when that when that drive happened travis kelsey wide open in the middle of the field bills playing prevent defense on a team that just short passed it to Hill for a 64-yarder, you then decide to do prevent because you think we're going to throw the long ball when we just threw a short pass to Tyreek Hill? I mean, you can't make that up. You can't. It was it was unbelievable recent, of course, over time, the, the straight killer. But, uh, yeah, unbelievable. With that, Kansas City fans will get into the game even more. So for those of you that didn't watch it, go watch it. Turn this podcast off. Buy a subscription to NFL.com or go to some site. This is worth getting a virus on your computer for. Chuh. This is worth getting your bank account hacked. Go, Come on, go to... Go to just kidding, I'm not going to say those sites. But uh, the Chiefs win 42-36 to 36 in overtime. I just kind of went through what had happened in the fourth quarter. Tyreek Hill with a minute to left scores a 64 yarder Gabriel Davis comes back with 13 seconds scores the 19 yard pass then Patrick Mahomes comes in and then Harrison Bucker who had missed two at this point right an extra kick and a field goal Mm -hmm. then makes a 49 yarder to get us into overtime which now national media unfortunately are talking about way too much that the NFL shouldn't be decided by a coin toss where were you when we lost to the Patriots 
by a coin toss. True that. Why weren't you talking about that when Tom Brady was in his glory? Because it was Tom Brady, because you guys wanted it to happen. But now, all of a sudden, you're saying, uh, a coin toss shouldn't decide the game. Where were you? Yeah. When all this happened. I don't want to hear it, national media. I don't want to hear that because we didn't hear it from you when it happened to us. I do want to say that is a little frustrating because people will point out and be like, no, people totally said they should change the, the rules and the Chiefs tried to get the rule changed. Like, no, people were saying it's a shame the Chiefs didn't get a chance for a rebuttal or like it's a shame they didn't get the ball first because whoever would have gotten a first one. There wasn't like this outcry and outrage to get the overtime rules changed. That being said, they do need to change the overtime rules you know sure. this is but not but not for that reason not not for that reason this has been a compound long-running thing let's not be prisoners of the moment uh but i do think there are ways they should and could change it in fact uh you know i watched this game again with friend of the podcast colts fan and chiefs good luck charm alex nikolenko and uh he recommended that in overtime it's like you know, if, if they get a touchdown, you get a chance for a rebuttal touchdown, obviously, unless it's like a kickoff return or a special teams touchdown or a pick six or something like that, then it's over. It's like, why is that not a thing yet? That makes perfect sense, right? I, I don't understand. I think it's probably because of money and they think that if they, because I heard another theory that they should just play a whole new quarter, just 15 minutes, whoever wins, wins. Uh, but then they don't want to go into double overtime, triple overtime because of fatigue, probably money. I don't I don't know. But yeah, there has to be another solution to what this is, uh, because you're right. Give Josh Allen another chance. Uh, but again, that this isn't the reason why you do that, because you're blaming the Chiefs for, you know, a coin toss win. Um, even Mike Greeny today on um, on uh, what, what is it? What is his show called? I forgot. First things first or whatever. First up, wake up or whatever it's called now. Mike Greeny even doubled down and said uh, Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL. After seeing what just happened, I was like, come on, national media. No one said Patrick Mahomes was a better quarterback than Tom Brady when we lost to the Patriots. And now you're going on national media, one of the one of the most prominent pundits at ESPN saying that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL after what Patrick Mahomes just did. I mean, how how dare you, national media? This game was amazing. Patrick Mahomes was amazing. Let me go through some stat, stats, Reese, and then I'm going to have you lead the conversation. So, Patrick Mahomes, 378 yards with three touchdowns, with a QBR rating of 96, while Josh Allen, pretty similar, uh, 329 with four touchdowns, all to Gabriel Davis, which was amazing. Uh, Gabriel Davis with 201 yards receiving on eight receptions. On our side of the ball, 150 yards by Tyreek Hill with one touchdown and 11 receptions. And then Mahomes our leading rusher with 69 yards josh allen their leading rusher 68 yards wow reese what do you want to talk about we can talk about whatever you want this was amazing kansas city live in this moment let's go Woo! <laughs> oh man what should we talk about like where, where do we even want to start with this do you want to talk about the chiefs offense do you want to talk about the chiefs defense do you want to talk about the bills offense what do you feel Oof. uh let's talk chiefs first let's 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 get our juices going let's get some fun stuff going chiefs offense cool give me some topics uh chiefs offense i think we should start with the step up and evolution of everybody finally seemingly playing a role in the offense the way we talked about just a few weeks ago i mean everybody 
contribute to this. This was a spirit bomb. Put your hands in the air and give your energy to Patrick Mahomes. One guy I want to call out first as last is Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who had easily, in my opinion, the best game of his career. A quiet seven carries, 60 yards for an 8.6-yard average. Now, one thing I've really knocked him on in the past is that he'll have like a a five-and-a-half-yard average, but it's like one, 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 ten sort of thing. No, not in this case. Every time he touched the ball, Sands one or two stuffs, he was running for like 10 to 15 yards a carry. And a lot of that, I think, really had to do with for the first time. I don't know what he was watching these last few weeks while he was out, but he was finding his lanes more often than not, which is one of our biggest complaints up to this point. It's like, dude, we know you're physically limited at your position, but it's like this line is putting forth lanes for you to walk through, my friend. And he didn't see all of them, but he saw more of them. Now, similarly, Jarek McKinnon, who we were singing his praises going into this game, I still think he definitely has a place on this offense. Even in the running game, 10 carries for 24 yards, 2.4 yard average. It's true, but he ran angry. He ran between the tackles and he wasn't afraid to get hit. We definitely need to use him on goal to goal situations and short yard carries over someone like Clyde. Now, in a similar note, he also had five receptions for 54 yards in the passing game. A lot of those being screen passes. He is still our best running back at that position. So I think going forward, Having the one-two punch of CEH and Jarek McKinnon is the way to go with our running game. Totally agree with you, Reese. I'm going to just add to your points because those are all really good points. What I saw from CEH on Sunday was something that we haven't seen since its first game, and that was confidence. Mm. There was a confidence and a swagger there that we haven't seen from CEH since he first got hit. Now, I'm just saying figuratively hit, not like a particular hit. But like when he had a bad game, he he showed spurts, but the entire game from then, from like year one till now, there hasn't been a consistent game where he just looks confident, cool, ready to go. He always seems to second guess the holes that are brought to him, and he was always pausing where today, sorry, on Sunday, hitting the holes and hitting people. Like he's he's small, like you said. But he wasn't afraid of contact on Sunday. It was a different mindset. Maybe he just needed to heal. Maybe, maybe the moment. Uh, maybe he knew. Maybe what really happened is he knew his job was in was in jeopardy if he didn't show up. Mm-hmm. But we saw, like you said, one of the best games of Ch because of his confidence and because of that bulldozing ability that we haven't seen. Now, Jared McKinnon. This is now an interesting pair. Because beforehand, this the game previous to this, we saw Jared McKinnon doing both, receiving and running. Now, Reese, what if, what if we keep Jared McKinnon as this number two, but he is the primary running back receiver, and we don't have CEH be this running back receiver and say, you know what? You receiving hasn't been great for the past couple years. So what if we let Jared McKinnon take that side of the ball? We still have him run so that there's some variability there, but you're our primary back. My only problem with that is that 
with each of them playing such a specific role and there being so much film on them and Andy Reid's tendencies, it would turn into one of those issues, I feel like, where they see Jarek McKinnon on the field and they go, oh, this is going to be a screen oh, pass. they're going to pass it to him. Yeah, CEH on the field is going to be between the tackles run. I think one thing that doesn't get brought up enough is we're going to talk about the late 2010s Marty Schottenheimer San Diego Chargers where they had LaDainian Tomlinson backed up by Daryl Sproles. And the thing with that is the fact mm. that even though they were two very different running, you know, types of running back, like Tomlinson being the classic, like bruising between the tackle smacker, Sproles being a much quicker and shiftier running back, they didn't change their assignments when they were out there. They were still going to call the same kind of plays for both. It wasn't like, oh, Sproles is out here. It's going to be a quick pass or an end around. You know, it was, you had to prepare for both of them the same way. That would be my one caveat to that. Now, if you want to talk about something, well, hold, hold on, hold on. What's this phone? Oh, yeah, I'm going to answer this phone because we called this a few weeks ago. Welcome in to McColl Debo Samuel Hardman. Andy, blam, 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 blam. Andy Reed and company have to have been watching 49ers tape this last four or five weeks and saying, I think McCole Hardman can do that because that is exactly what we saw last night. Similar to Super Bowl 54, which if you remember, they had that three-headed monster stable going back there, which I believe that night featured Debo Samuel because Matt Breida was inactive or something like that. I can't remember. But the thing was, they didn't go to him often. But the one guy in their rushing attack we didn't seem to have an answer for was that Debo Samuel guy. And I even said it that night, I'm like, if they would have given it to Samuel more, I'm, hold on, I'm going to pull the box for you. He, has, he had three carries for 53 yards on the ground to add to five receptions for 39 yards. I said that guy was the jackknife of all trades that we couldn't find an answer for well i think andy reed's been sitting down watching that and saying mccall hardman can do this because we saw a lot of the same looks and packages directed for mccall that we've been seeing for debo for the last three years subsequently hardman only had two rushes for 31 yards and one reception for 26 yards but those were all huge huge yeah, plays yeah, when we needed them exactly they were never say die he never said die and guess what? The team, as a result, never died. Yeah, I mean, going going forward, Reese. Yeah, first of all, good call by referees saying that McCole Hardman had the um, had the comparison to Debo Samuel, and that if we used him in that in that sense, like it, we'd be very successful. Now having McCole Hardman in that, where we don't have to rely on him on you know seven targets, six targets. He had one target, one target the entire game, and if we have that weapon. Not make him a focal point. Not make him wide receiver two. We still have Byron Pringle as wide receiver three. And we just got to find this wide receiver two. We can go back to that Chiefs-Rams game. And we can revisit, you know, the ev- the uh, the Chiefs even more evolutionizing the game. If we had that wide receiver two. Which is unbelievable to think about. But yes, how, how lucky we are now that finally... <laughs> Take what is this year three for Hardman? Year four for Hardman? Yeah, year three. Yep. Yeah, the year three for Hardman. We're finally understanding what his strengths are, what he's good at. Of course, McColl looks more confident as well. But uh, yeah, great analysis there, Reese. 
Anything else on the offense you want to chat about? Um, offensively, I, I think we saw a little glimpse of hopefully the future with Noah Gray showing up two receptions, 14 yards. Oh, yeah, actually, that, that, that one that one pass is actually pretty good. Yeah, they, they were both clutch big boy plays from the guy who might not be the heir apparent to Travis Kelsey, but could be a big part in the receiving game going forward. Uh, Byron Pringle again showing up. The big thing was we just had so many people show up just enough. You know, it was it was exactly the kind of food pyramid of production this team needs to work, because you know, obviously, you're looking at the base of that pyramid, you're, you're what is it? Your carbohydrates. You got Travis Kelsey and you got Tyreek Hill, but going up right. there, you have to have these other food groups to like suss out the pyramid. Otherwise, you know, you can't go without your proteins. You can't even go without your sugars technically, and that's where you're getting your guys like Byron Pringle contributing as a wide receiver three, Nicole Hardman in the future, hopefully contributing as that super gadget player and Clyde Edwards Alaire and Jarek McKinnon combining to make that very tip top of the pyramid. Gotta have your balanced food groups. Absolutely. I have nothing to add to that because that, that is a perfect example of what this Chiefs team is and that it can still continue to get better, which is extremely scary. Um, how about before we talk about the defense, i just shouting out um, Orlando Brown who uh, I believe got the second best uh, P- PFF rating uh, of that game, or maybe the third best. Doesn't matter. Or-, or Orlando Brown, who we were writing off already in the beginning of the year, has improved so much from the first five weeks into now. And we've seen some mess-ups here and there, but him, Wiley. I mean, guys that we don't think would step up in the moment, really stepped up. Because remember, this Bills team was still the number one ranked defense in the NFL when we talk about per yards and uh, rushing and scoring and receiving. We scored fifth, We scored 42 on these guys. 42 with the usual suspects, even with cover two. You know, and not only that, but like, yes, Mahomes got some pressure at times, but it wasn't like the whole game, this front four, right, the best defense in the NFL it's not like this was the Super Bowl against the Bucks. so hats off to our guys especially Orlando Brown for figuring out you know throughout the year this a culmination the apex of Orlando Brown the apex of Andrew Wiley who who would think that Andrew Wiley at the end of this year if we thought in the beginning of the year with uh, with Kyle Long being there, with Lucas Niang coming back, with with Andy Reid speak like talking up Lucas Niang the entire training camp, who would think that Andrew Wiley would come in in the clutch? This whole offensive line, we're just we're we're, we're really lucky like what it is right now and Patrick Mahomes having all the Stockholm syndrome of having the having you know the blitz come and him you know going crazy now he can do everything he sits in the pocket if if they come rush or if the pocket collapses he goes eh fine I did a whole year with this check this out and then you know a miraculous Byron Pringle touchdown it's just everything is just rolling everything is oh my god I'm just I'm just euphoric right now Reese like <laughs> Like nothing, nothing can go. I mean, knock on wood, but right now nothing can go wrong on this day on Tuesday. Nothing can go wrong. I'm just so happy. I agree with you. Uh, I think what's your opinion on Orlando Brown? Do you think we lock him up after this year or what? Just in general, what do you think his future is with the team? It really depends what the money is. I don't think he is the priority. The priority, we still haven't paid Tyron Matthew. I think that is priority number one. 
And there is no if, ands, or buts about that. I know he's getting older, but it's still Tyron Matthew. <laughs> like, I don't care. And we saw what the absence of Tyron Matthew looks oh, like. Goodness. Oh, goodness. Just a mat. I mean, okay. Again, we don't want to rag on the Bills like that much, but we have to ask the question, Reese. What does that game look like if Tyron Matthew is there? Does it still look like 42 36? Uh, I don't want to. I know that uh, the Bills were out there, number one cornerback, whose name escapes me. Forgive it. Uh, Trey White. Trey White, thank you. I want to say Mike White. He lives in my head rent-free. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I know they were out Trey White, so I think if we were to go one for one, Trey White, Tyron Matthew, sure. it's like, sure. Then, then then we probably wouldn't have had 42. But I will say it was definitely felt they were missing Tyron Matthew and Rashad Fenton. Because Josh Allen was throwing some dimes last night, but the area they were attacking was the exact like area of the field in our secondary. Was Mike Hughes and DeAndre Baker. Exactly. That was Tyron Matthew. That was Rashad Fenton territory. And you saw particularly late in the game, there were a few plays when Charvarius Ward even had to go out that nobody knew their assignments back then. Again, that final go-ahead touchdown he threw 13 seconds dime not taking that away that was there because nobody knew who was responsible for covering the center of the field it was yeah it was not good so 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 oh sorry go oh, ahead that's Reese, it that's I'll, it i'll jump in that's it oh so all, all all to say right tyron matthew we gotta pay that guy number two melvin ingram we have to pay melvin ingram over orlando brown yes. so yes it'd be great to keep orlando brown i think he's valuable he's learning and and he hasn't been the reason why we've lost any of these uh, recent games right he's not the reason why we lost the Bengals game he's not the reason why this game was close he's not the reason why the chargers game was close in the beginning of the season yeah so he has proven to be valuable i'm not gonna uh weigh those first few games where he was trying to figure this out because patrick mahomes is not Lamar Jackson but all to say he is not on my top two list he's like third in the priority list I I agree with that I think there are people on that line we will need to wind up paying like Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith unfortunately right around the oh, same yeah, time guys. Uh, but I think Orlando Brown is one of those guys that it's like you saw how quickly they were able to draft and fix this offensive line I have to believe that they can find another Orlando Brown level replacement player in the draft. Or if they don't feel that way and they want to keep Orlando Brown, I would like to believe they could be like, you know, they would know well enough to be like, hey, buddy, you know, you're good. This is what we're going to offer you this much, this many years. And if you would like to try the market, please be our guest. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you, and it's a good problem that we have right now. Yeah, it's either we're going to have a former pro bowler or we're going to farm some guy, and it's going to be amazing. All to say, Kansas City fans, we are stoked today, we are fired up. Stay tuned, we're going to have a fire beer review, and then we're going to talk about the defense and do a little Bengals preview. Probably not a lot because I don't know if there's that much to say. Uh, all to say. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because we are pumped. It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the show where we normally talk about something going on this week in craft beer and then review a delicious beer for your listening pleasure. How ever this week with how full this podcast is full of information we are foregoing the story this week in craft beer and jumping straight on to the beer review segment so armando 
you look absolutely parched after that game on Sunday. So what delicious crispy beer will you be reviewing for us today? Well, I'm glad you said crispy, Reese, because I'm going to have a very crispy beer today. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing a Czech lager from the first Czech lager brewery in Colorado and only the third Czech-style brewery in America, Cohesion, and I will be doing their Cohesion 10. Oh my gosh, Cohesion 10 from Cohesion Brewing. Where is Cohesion located out of? They're located in Denver in a neighborhood that is very similar to West Bottom. So really cool, really rustic. Um, So Cohesion 10 is a pale draft beer. It's only 3.9%. And I'll just spend a little bit of time talking about this brewery because I was so excited to go and and it met all my expectations. So Cohesion, like I said, is the first Czech czech style brewery where they only make czech beer but not only that reese but it's similar to a german brewery like kc beer or Bierstadt, where they have their own way of brewing beer it's that long word that i keep forgetting when you remember it you can chime in Mm -hmm. but uh, i'm gonna read their bio just one segment of it so to them they get the malt from the czech republic they have czech hops they do what's called decoction mashing they have open fermentation they have natural carbonation which i have no idea how you naturally carb and they serve them in czech taps that are specific for czech beers called lucra taps interesting so i mean this is czech all the way down and i um was able to go to prague uh before my wedding actually so now going on five years um was able to go with my church choir and dude pilsner urkel is the crispiest beer you will ever have and one of the best tasting beers so i was so excited because the pilsner urkel in the czech republic is just some of the greatest light beers you can ever have so now i'm having something very similar and i'm very excited oh man i'm very excited about this too we'll talk more about the differences between a uh, czech pilsner and a bohemian or german pilsner as we go on but armando We review these beers with five categories, as you're well aware. We have appearance, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. So let's start now with the appearance. Now, if I'm correct in my Pilsners here, the Czech-style Pilsner is generally a little more kind of like yellowish as opposed to the German, which is going to be a little bit more pale. If we're we're talking like this versus like uh, Prost Brewing Company's German Pilsner, correct? You know, I actually don't even know that far as you do, but just looking at it, you're right. Um, So uh, a Czech, or sorry, not a Czech Pilsner, but a German Pilsner is going to be extremely clear, not as dark yellow as this, and I'm sure that has to do with the malts that they use. Mm -hmm. Again, I am not a... um, um, an expert on the difference between the malts, but just from what I'm looking at right now, because this is a, a Kansas City podcast or fans made for fans instead of experts made for experts for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just from what I can see, yes, this is uh, generally darker and looks a little heavier than a German Pilsner. Mm. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, check out that head. I mean, I poured that baby and the head is, oh, whoops, let me get that better here that's a better look for you um the head looks great we're still getting those bubbles coming that mean that carb is just rolling in you know the carbonation bubbles aren't like rapidly going up but they're going up which is 
that's different because normally in like a really crispy beer, those bubbles are just racing up to the top. Mm -hmm. These are slowly going up, but they're never ending. So it shows you it's carved. It might just be maybe that natural carb, perhaps. Um, Again, I have no uh, I have no idea about this style, but for the style, I bet it's really awesome. Mm -hmm. It's nine point eight. Oh, my gosh. Nine point eight in the appearance. So beautiful. Yeah, that is one thing I do remember is that a. the uh, the Czech style pilsners like that do have a little bit less effervescence to them. I, I mean, yep. I, again, it's like we should just have a, a stream with this and having Prost's pilsner just like side by side so we can compare those two things because it's, it's just so interesting. Let's do it. Anyway, category number two, aroma. I'll be very curious to see what kind of aroma you get on this bad boy. Yeah, so... If we're still comparing it in the German realm, mm-hmm. this smells so much more like bread crummy, uh, gingerbread, um, much more on that realm than the German beers do. The German beers do have uh, more of a sweetness to them, mm-hmm. um, not like a banana because that's more Hefeweizen, but you know something in between a bread crumb and a banana on the sweet side. This is no sweet. This is really all that weedy weedy texture um definitely malty i mean a heavier malt than you would on a german pilsner Mm -hmm. but i would say the primary smell i get is that breadcrumb uh really nice though good yeah how about a uh how about an 8.8 all right 8.8 yeah dog love those bready and delicious biscuity czech style pilsners a little sticky too i got some on my uh on my hand and that's actually pretty sticky oh got that sticky icky love it all right uh so then category number three flavor i want to know what kind of flavors you are getting on this is it going to be a similarly bread crummy crackery note on that crispy crispy pilsner good question before i try this please donate on patreon so that reese can fly here first class (laughs) with the person that donates so whoever donates you're also donating your trip to come here so whoever you are that donates is going to be you and reese flying a plane over to me we're going to go to cohesion we're going to go to beer shop we're going to go to weldworks all going to be in one day all live stream yeah and on my flight i want cookies and a 50 minute cut of avatar <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, so this is interesting. Not as crispy as a Bierstadt Pills or a KC Pills or Prost, um, but a lot more flavor, actually. I'm getting a lot of flavor on this guy. The malt is really smooth. Um, the carb is not that present, so I'm not being like tickled too much. Um, yeah, you really get that nice breadcrumb finish as well. Mm-hmm. That's very good. And, and I think this is why this style of beer is so popular in Europe, because you're not just having like a PBR, right? You're having a lager with substance, but you can still have a ton of these, right? What was this? 3.9%. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're enjoying a light, crispy beer, but you're enjoying something that has a legitimate flavor. Uh, great flavor on this. I'm loving this. A 10 on flavor. Oh, a 10 on flavor on the Pilsner. That's that's right. Oh, That's right. You heard it. That's all you can ask for. That's all you can ask for. Well, it's funny you say how much flavor is in that 3.9% beer because as we talked about earlier in the podcast a few months ago, the trends in the beer industry are people drinking less beer but of a higher ABV, which usually comes in the realm of having more flavor as well. 
So with these European style beers over in Europe, it's like, great, you can have your cake and drink it too. in that you're having these high flavor beers at this low ABV volume. So you don't have to feel bad drinking two or three in one sitting. Am I right? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's the thing. Like we, we, we've chatted about this on the pod before where uh, the concept of a bar in Europe is so different than the concept that we have in America. Um, I kind of like Boulevard, right? Boulevard is similar to the European system where it's a beer hall, right? It's a place where you can connect with people, um, but in, in, a, in a big setting, not like a dive bar, you know what I mean? So, and, and, and that's how Europe is, right? You, you, you want to stay there. You want to converse with your friends. You want to enjoy this experience with your friends as opposed to like, you know, at a dive bar, it's all right, shot. <laughs> Yeah, you know I mean, so yeah, so so the culture here, right? You you want to stay for a while and not be, you know, so hungover. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like making the trip down to High Dive on 39th Street for that sweet, sweet <laughs> yeah, mystery beer shout machine. Out High but Dive. <laughs> anyway, Actually, I have a funny story. Quick, quick story about High Lay Dive. Lay it on me. Um, so as we know, High Dive is one of the best dive bars in Kansas City. And when Logan and I started dating, she told me that like one of the best things that she enjoys is going to a dive bar and having a beer. So I took her to high dive, um, after one of our like concerts and we were both, I, I was in a tux and she was in like a, a nice like black gown. Yeah. And I was, I thought it'd be so cool to take her to a dive bar after <laughs> the concert cause she kept talking about it. And then I was like, Oh wait, this is a bad idea. Hey, I mean, you know <laughs> what? We still had a lot. Of, it was actually a lot of fun still. And I mean, <laughs> and you're married, right? That's the important thing. It, it worked out. It all worked exactly. out. Exactly. Mystery <laughs> beer machine cures all. So then moving on to category number four, what is the mouthfeel like on that? You've already alluded to the fact that it's less carbonated than a German style mm-hmm. pills there. Does that reflect in the mouth or are there hidden bubbles in there? Yeah, I mean, definitely still some carbonation, but um, a lot less. A lot less carbonation, more um, in relation to a Pilsner, it is a heavy mouthfeel. Okay. Now, we're not talking stouts, IPAs, but in in perspective for a Pilsner, it is very heavy. Uh, really nice malt taste, though. Not a lot of carb. Still very smooth. So, again, I love the juxtapositions of, you know, two different things on one beer. Very, very nuanced. Um, so how about a 9.1? All right. 9.1 is a great mouthfeel. Then category number five, we have aftertaste. You got some crackery going down. I'm going to be curious to see what you say with the aftertaste on this one. Yeah. Aftertaste, you don't get much of that breadcrumb. It's more of that malt taste, maybe a little more of the alcohol taste as well, if you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't want to compare it to a PBR like a Budweiser. But it is a similar aftertaste to those. Again, Budweiser is Czech. Um, not for those of you newsflash that's not from St. Louis. <laughs> it's actually from Prague. Um, so anyway, whatever you, it just has a similar aftertaste in in a good way. I'm not talking in a bad way because it's still a beer. Um, but yeah, very very good still, uh, but a lot of malt prominence. How about a 7.6? Right, 7.6 on aftertaste. Then final secret category, category number six, BDQ, which stands for Bavaria quits doing their thing when the Czech ah! Pilsner comes to sing. <laughs> Big stonks, drinkability <laughs> quotient, Armando. What For is the, this beer and how does it make you feel? 
for the past like month we've just been adding we like because because again this is reese we're we're hitting if not we're past our 90th episode yeah um and so we've had 90 different BDQ acronyms. Yeah. And 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 I've noticed that in the past month we're just adding we're just adding more words to it because we can't think of anything anymore. Dude, there's only <laughs> so many words in the English language that can start with Q and make a sentence with three words. I mean, we're we're doing our best here. <laughs> for, for for those of you that uh, that can't contribute on patreon but still want to help this podcast go through every episode and write down what our bdqs were to see how many keywords we've used <laughs> yeah and how many like fake keywords we've used as well yeah right triple word scores All right, uh bdq here look i'm gonna be biased and i don't i don't even care reese i'm i'm flying today i'm just on cloud nine because of the chief's bills Excuse me, Chiefs Bills game. Ooh, the carbs coming up, and it's great. <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, Reese, I'm I'm doubling down. The best game in sports history or best sporting event ever. Take that, Michael Jordan, John Stockton. John Stockton just got banned from Gonzaga, by the way, but that's for a whole different can of worms. Yeah. Anyway, um, this is a great style of beer. I love it. Um, happy to have gone to a brewery that's like literally change changing america right like the first czech brewery in denver the mecca for beer and then only the third in america like that's pretty cool that i was able to go grab a crowler and now i'm reviewing the beer so like it's cool it's awesome it tastes great i uh, would love to get another one 10 bdq baby feeling great wow so we got a perfect score then on flavor and bdq is that correct correct all right well uh you know one thing we gotta talk about going forward which we will is we need to start looking at the criteria for mount crushmore uh you know are we going to have like one style per head you know which could leave us with realistically six or seven heads are we just going to be like you know these are the four best beers but we can't have more than one style in those four beers so just something to start chewing over and thinking about as we move forward you know i i I won't throw this on uh mount crushmore i think beerstadt just and again this is a very new brewery cohesion i think cohesion just won you know i think it just won best at one competition it just won best new brewery really young i can't wait to see what happens in five years um i think because beerstadt has been around for a long time and their beerstadt pills is you know legendary i'm still have to give them their due and say that is on mount crushmore i would say it's um it's definitely rivaling though mm. uh casey, casey beer stuff i would say that already wow. it's already it's uh, I can't say it's superior, but it's definitely uh, definitely making its way. So all of you out there that are beer goers that go to this podcast just for the beer review, remember the name Cohesion Brewing Company. an awesome beer review i just reviewed cohesion 10 a really awesome czech pilsner that i'll be sipping on because i have a 25 ounce 
crowler right here. So oh. I'll be sipping on it for this last segment, Reese. So let's put a button on this game, although we can talk about this game for hours. Again, what a joy to see such a historic game for Kansas City. Um, a couple stats, and then I'll throw it to you, Reese. So... The Kansas City Chiefs will be hosting the AFC Championship. This is their fourth consecutive AFC Championship hosted at Arrowhead, which is the best in NFL history. Um, that's actually all I had to say. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Reese, any uh, last thoughts about this game you want to put a button on? Uh, yeah, you know, I was thinking about something as I was driving around doing some errands today. And, you know, the big talk right now is the fact that, well, the coin flip decided the game. And it's like, well, okay, in technical speaking terms, yeah, you could definitely argue that. I'm not sure the Chiefs stopped the Bills from scoring touchdown in overtime, given how gassed both defenses were. That being said, I think that really does a disservice to the X's and O's chess match going on with the coaching and both teams throughout the game. Uh, Essentially, what I came up with is I think there were periods in the game where the Chiefs lost the game and the Bills lost the game and ultimately wound up being decided in overtime. So do you mind if I kind of dissect that a little bit? Let's let's do it. Go for it, baby. So you'll probably remember this one. You probably already know what I'm going to say. Uh, Tyreek Hill had that huge electrifying punt return with about 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, which set us up deep in Bill's territory. Now, I was like, we really got to get seven out of this drive. Otherwise, we're really going to open the door back up. And where the Chiefs lost the game was that third and one and they bring in Blake Bell and run that option to the short side. What were they thinking on that play, Armando? Well, okay. I kind of alluded to this in the group chat. So right before that play, I keep forgetting what had happened, but something had happened that it was going to be challenged the spot of the ball, I think. Like like the the previous play, someone had, had ran... Um, into the into the out of bounds zone, and I remember Tony Roma going back and saying, "Oh, this may come back." And then at that point, you see them huddling quickly, and you can tell they did not plan this Blake Bell thing. It was very quick, maybe something they've done in training camp, and was just poorly executed. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but just from what I saw in their body language, that looked like hurry-up offense when it shouldn't have been hurry-up offense. Hmm. Well, I hope you're right, and that makes sense. Because I th- that play makes absolutely no sense to me as to why that got called in. Yeah, it was awful. Well, it was awful. Because the thing is, people were saying, like, why didn't they just go for a QB sneak or something? It's like, well, th- that was not a QB sneak, you know, one <laughs> yard. Moment, that, right. that was a full country mile yard. Uh, what I don't get is, why didn't they run the option? They, they ran it on the short side. Why didn't they run it to the other opposite side of the hash mark where they had far more field? And I think it could have been successful. McKinney can turn the corner with that much field. Yeah. He couldn't do on the short side. Or even if they had like an option pass play, people are quick to forget that Blake Bell played quarterback, and quite well, if I might add, for Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. So... I don't know. Oh, all right. All right, Mr. Uh, around the horn. Blink, 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 blink. Oh, please, please. I got a, I got so many of those. Keep that keep that oh. buzzer ready. I have, I have nothing to say what you just said. Keep going. All right. So <laughs> now where the Bills lost the game 
when they went up with 13 seconds left and they subsequently had the chance to close the door on the Chiefs, theirs was kind of a double whammy on this. It was like, I don't get why they chose to kick it out the back of the end zone as opposed to a squib kick. Because if a squib kick happens, even if Tyreek Hill gets his hands on it, he's running around for at least five to seven seconds, at least. Chiefs have a chance to throw a Hail Mary or some sort of trick play, and that's it. That's game over. But 13 seconds and two timeouts leaves the door open for the exact possibility and probability with Mahomes for what happened. And the part two for this is I don't understand why the Bills were playing such soft prevent coverage. I would have kept some guys closer to the center of the field and closer to the line of scrimmage to at least be on these players. They gave Tyreek Hill a good like 15, 20 yards of space, which I might add. I cross-reference this. The minute this play went off, I said, I've seen this before. I said, this is the play they ran against Dallas in 2017 in the first half where like it was a soft Hail Mary. Good catch. He had Good some catch. lead blockers. Dude, I looked that up. Back then, we had Travis Kelsey, Demetrius Harris, and I couldn't make out the number of the third guy, but it was the same thing. Trips wide, pushed him forward. Tyreek kind of hung back behind him, so then he had another 10 yards of space to get set up and run, and that's exactly what happened this time. Exactly. So... Reese with the hot take Reese with the with the deep cut going back to the film room Dude, I I could not believe that was Alex Smith blink, era blink 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 20 points for Reese. Oh, th- thank you I wow I appreciate that uh but the the fact that Andy Reid pulled an Alex Smith era play out of the playbook for this kind of situation mind-blowing so those are my two periods where I feel the Chiefs lost the game and the Bills lost the game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. If if we were to play this game a hundred times, I can't say definitively that the Chiefs would win 51 times. I, 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 can't, I can't say that because everything was so back and forth within inc- incremental mistakes, right? Um I, I was looking more at our mistakes than their mistakes, so I'll bring up some more, but I'll actually talk about Bills first, and then I'll talk about our own mistakes. So the Bills' mistake, just like you said, prevent defense, we've already talked about this, was so inexcusable at that point. It's also, though, a testament to Patrick Mahomes, because if you're Sean McDermott, you know throughout this game he's still beating you Dinkin and Duncan, but it's still Patrick Mahomes. You can't play people up in the box or even within the box at that point because you know Patrick Mahomes, even though he wasn't showing us that game, can still go goal to goal, goal to go, and then go for it. In fact, what had happened on that play, I'm going to use someone that we actually don't like on this podcast, but he actually did a good segment on this. Dan Orlovsky. Oh, gosh, what did he say? (laughs) Dan Orlovsky actually did a really great job of, of, of dissecting the prevent. Tra- uh, tra- Travis Kelsey thing. So his theory is that Travis Kelsey was not supposed to do what he did there. Travis Kelsey was supposed to cut to the left and then swerve to the right, right? Because they were trying to create that space. But Travis Kelsey saw the huge hole to start out with. And he, instead of going left where he was supposed to, apparently, he then just immediately goes right because he sees that hole. Patrick Mahomes 
sees it already, snaps the ball, doesn't look at Travis at all, and looks to the right because our boy, Alyssa Anthony Milano, or whatever his first name is, is playing linebacker, sees Patrick look to the right, which is the opposite direction of where Travis was, and Milano turns to whoever was over there. I forget who it was. I think it was um, Tyreek. But Pat knows this because Pat's trying to create space for Travis. So within a split second, when he sees Milano cheat to the right, he darts right to Travis. He looks like he's going to throw, but pump fakes because in that split second, he sees that Travis is not going to do the route that they originally had planned to. So he pumps and then throws where, according to Dan Orlovsky, a quarterback would never do that in that situation. He would never pump because he's not trying to like mess up anybody. He pumped because he saw that Travis was doing something different, which is like so big brain. That whole play is so big brain even with the Bills screwing up the prevent defense. Well, and that's what's so crazy, too. And it's funny that Dan Orlovsky points that out. And thank you for bringing that up because I don't know if you saw, but uh, NFL Films actually just released some footage about a few hours ago regarding Travis Kelsey being mic'd up during that situation and what he said. Oh, really? Are you interested? No, no. What do you say? Yeah, tell me. So I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes on this. So before the 13 second drive, he tells Tyreek on the on the sidelines, he said, hey, man, I think you should do this. It looks like they're going to probably play like this. They wind up doing what Travis said they were going to. So after he gets up and helps Tyreek up from that play, he says they play it like that. That seam is wide open. And he said, I'm not going to run. No way. And he says, I'm not going to run the route as it's called in. And right before the snap, you hear Mahomes say, do it, Kelsey. Do it, Kelsey. Snaps the ball. And what you said happened is exactly what happened. Holy crap. I mean, like, well, listen, listen, like, we're not talking about this a lot, but like, imagine being this good, right? Kelsey, one of the greatest, if not the greatest tight end. Patrick Mahomes being one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback, both knowing they have one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach in NFL history, and they all still are just like, you know what? Screw it. We're, we're going to do this. And both of them are on the same wave, wavelength. Like, imagine if you are Mac Jones and and you're Nikhil Harry and then Bill Belichick tells you to do something. You're going to freaking do it. Oh, yeah. But when you're the best at your position and you have the chemistry that you have that like people don't talk about the chemistry. I talked about a little bit and you and I talked about it in the like beginning of the season. This chemistry is something that cannot be recreated with just anyone. Right. Like for them to know each other for them to know the schemes for them to like is really if not better than a tom brady and gronk i mean it really duo. it really is like that's some michael jordan choosing to dish it out to steve kerr level big brain thing and right there oh totally good good point, so, good point so it's not just a matter of like oh, kelsey's a better route runner than kittle it's like no kelsey might be a better dis- dissector of the game and processor of how things work mm-hmm. than kittle than gronk then maybe even tony gonzalez for all we know Right, right. And 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 Kittle and Garoppolo don't have the rapport that Kittle can do something that is completely off script and Garoppolo goes, sweet, let's do it. As opposed to Kelsey, like Kelsey knows what Pat wants to do and Pat knows what Kelsey wants to do. It's it's, it's truly amazing, Kansas City. We can talk about it for hours. Um, any other thing you want to talk about, Reese, before we talk about um bangles uh last thing i'll say is well no this this segues perfectly into the bagel uh the bangles the bagels 
Oh, we should play the Bengals. Bengals. Anyway, the uh, Bengals. no, lead on. Let's talk about the Bengals. Okay, cool. Well, what I was going to say to lead into it, the one thing that was huge about this game. Sorry, I'm burping from all this from all this Pilsner, man. It's carb central. <laughs> um, the the one thing that scared me about this game, and if we would have lost, I would have only talked about this, was our lack of depth in cornerback and our lack of depth depth in safety. Now we're gonna have Rashad Fenton back, and we're gonna have Tyron Matthew back. But who's to say that Mike Hughes is not gonna play a little bit? And that DeAndre Baker might play. Okay, DeAndre Baker might not play, but we've seen Mike Hughes play a lot for the past few weeks, even with Honey Badger and with um, with Rashad Fenton there. So I give this question to you, Reese. Mm-hmm. If we do the same thing we just did, where we double digs and we force Josh Allen to pass it to someone else, which he did with ease, we do that same thing to Burrow and Chase. What is your panic meter if we have someone like a DeAndre Baker, a Mike Hughes, on Tyler Boyd or Rashawn Higgins? Well, first off, I just want to say check the receipts from last week's episode. I said the key to the game would be keeping Dawson Knox under 45 yards. And to the best of my knowledge, I think he had like 20. Uh, excuse me. He I had. We'll find out within seconds. He had nine. Nine yards. Nine. So, Reese called it. So you know, Oracle Reese. The fact that Stefan Diggs, I also believe, had single-digit receiving yards was also gravy. Uh, that being said, now I am very concerned about this because seven yards for Stefan Diggs. Sorry, I didn't even. I have never seen this before. I didn't look at the box score. Yeah, seven yards for Stefan Diggs. Amazing. Sorry, continue. So the fact is, we said, you know, we're gonna let anybody. But those guys beat us. And it wound up Gabriel Davis literally got everything else. Everything. What concerns me is the fact that after the Bengals game, you know how salty I was about that. I said, you know what? Yeah, sure. The Bengals can beat us provided they have another all-time receiving game from one of their wide receivers. The referees, I'll, I'll, sp- an, I'll spare all that stuff. Game. But it was at least like four provisional things that required them to have like the perfect game to beat us. And they all happened. But I said, none of those things will happen again. That being said, this is the second time in four games now we've let one wide receiver go for over 200 yards of receiving on us. Uh, That's incredibly concerning to me. Now, first time he decided to play Sorensen in coverage all of a sudden. He kept Willie Gay on a limited snap count. And for whatever reason, he decided not to double Jamar Chase. This time around, like we said, no Rashad Fenton, no Honey Badger. He really didn't have the horses to double Gabriel Davis. That being said, that is very concerning for me. Because like you said, we do have a stark lack of depth in our cornerbacks. And I think it's mostly... We have lack of depth in cornerbacks that can play man coverage. They seem to be doing okay in zone, but when left one-on-one on an island, I mean, we just saw the murder of Mike Hughes on that touchdown route by Gabriel Davis. (laughs) That was the coldest route I think I've ever seen in my life. So I'm a little bit concerned going up against this Bengals team that we might not... Well, what do you think? Yeah, no, Reese. I'm I'm pretty worried right now because if you look at the Titans game that the Bengals just played, 
Jamar Chase, 109 yards. Higgins, 96 yards. Um, Uzoma, their tight end, 71 yards. Mixon, 51 yards. And then Tyler Boyd, only two targets with 17. But they had four wide receivers. Joe Mixon's not even a wide receiver, and he had 50 yards receiving. So Joe Burrow doesn't need Jamar Chase to win a game. Like, yes, Jamar Chase still did well, 109 point, uh, 109 yards. But Joe Burrow is so good, and that receiving core is so good, that if we stop Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow's going to be like, eh, whatever. Pass it to Mixon, pass it to Boyd, pass it to Higgins, and now he's really getting Uzoma, um, their tight end, in the mix. So... I am concerned just like you are. Now, if I, if I did a panic meter on myself, zero, nothing, 10, really, really, really panicked, I would say I'm at a six right now because of Rashad Fenton coming back and because of Honey Badger coming back. We saw uh, Spags f- fix his scheme after the Bengals, right? We saw him kind of cheat Tyron Matthew in during the Steelers game. I think the Steelers game is putting me at ease a little bit because of how they contained Deontay Johnson with Chase Claypool and a little bit of Juju Smith-Schuster. So because of what we saw in that Steelers game, I am hoping that it translates into the Jamar Chase game. Uh, But... I'm still a little worried, Reese. Still a little worried because I don't know if it's a Fenton 100% or a Tyron Matthew 100%. You know, if they're 60% of themselves, this is going to be a shootout. Well, you know, one thing that I'm not seeing talked about enough is that this Cincinnati Bengals uh, most trans- transcendent offense of all time, whatever they're calling them now, uh, has only scored... Is that really what they're saying? Well, basically the talking heads are. Uh, but oh, this offense has only put up one touchdown over the last six quarters, and I don't think that gets talked about enough. I mean, you look at that Titans game... That was really a game that the Titans lost more than the Bengals won. It's like, you're going to tell me Ryan Tannehill is going to throw three interceptions, including one in the red zone, when he's been pretty consistent and safe with the ball all year long. So, you know, this this Bengals team is not white hot right now. They were white hot for a few weeks towards the end of the season. It doesn't seem like they've carried that momentum over into the playoffs. It's just... It's kind of that line of like, I just kept crawling and eventually I made it. So why not them? Who knows? Maybe eventually they'll make it. Look, I don't want to jinx us, but in the playoffs, the AFC championship, if you're going to go with the second year quarterback who's hot over someone that has won a Super Bowl already and still looks pretty freaking good in Patrick Mahomes, I'm taking the Chiefs. And again, this Bengals team looks like, and I'm holding with this, this Bengals team looks like the 2020 Bills team or the 2019 Bills team, which they weren't ready then. This year, they were ready. They were ready this year. Again, I'm not going to talk crap about the Bills. They, it could have gone either way. But this Bengals team... Has not shown me, especially after a 1916 win against the Titans. Come on. Come on. Okay. And with that said, actually, go ahead, Reese, and then we'll we'll talk prediction. Oh, one thing I also want to mention before we kind of move on from this is the fact that that Tennessee Titans front did sack Joe Burrow nine times. That's right. 
And it's awful offensive line. Awful offensive line. It's also worth noting the fact that, you know, Joe Burrow is not some young, fresh out of college spring chicken, dude. He, he was older when he came into the NFL. He's already 25 and a half. He's almost the same age as with, Patrick. With an, ACL in, with an ACL injury. With the ACL injury. And you can see it's like, yeah, he's kind of slippery and he's got a nice little step up kind of side step to make the first man mix. But like the way he moves kind of reminds me of Rob Gronkowski, to be honest, dude. Oh, no. He looks like it hurts. <laughs> it really does. So, you know, if we can keep harassing him, if we can get pressure with four, I like our chances on defense more than that first game, personally. And as, as much as we criticize Spags, Spags in the NFL is elite when it comes to surprise blitz or surprise rush fours or fives. Um, he is one of the best in the game and you're Joe better get ready for it. But also to mention, you know, Joe Burrow and Allen, the big difference, right? They have the big arm. Joe Burrow, two carries for five yards against the Titans. Wow. Which Allen would never have. Um, and with that said, Reese, let's do some predictions. What do you got? Okay, I, I am knocking on wood the whole time. I'm going to make this prediction right here because watch me just screw this up. Uh, you know, it becomes the like flipped opposite exactly how you planned it, but opposite teams. So I think I've seen arguments made that the Cincinnati Bengals may not have even made the playoffs this year had Lamar Jackson and the Ravens not been completely dinged up and had the Browns not imploded midseason. And I do think there's some argument to that. Now, ifs and buts, candies and nuts, Bengals saying, why not us? Why not us? You know, maybe why not them? But the way the Chiefs just played and the way their offense has clicked the last couple weeks, uh, I feel like this is going to be a game where the Bengals are going to need some things to bounce their way in opportune times again. I'm talking multiple turnovers, either deep in our own territory or killing our own touchdown drives in their red zone. I'm talking some blown coverages. I'm talking probably a special teams touchdown. Not saying all those things need to happen, but I think one or two of those need to happen because this feels very similar to the Tennessee Titans game in 2019, our Super Bowl run. We played him in the regular season we still dropped a big like 33 burger on him, but for like the last quarter and a half, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Most of them self-inflicted wounds. They won that game. Come playoff time, we are much more prepped. We are much more prepared. We didn't take that opponent for granted. And in the AFC title game, we put the hammer down and took it to him. I can see a similar outcome in a game like this. Uh, score prediction, I'm going to say 31 no, I'm going to say 33 to 24 Chiefs. All right. I, I, I really like that score. Uh, yeah, it to me, it, it all comes down to if we can contain the other factors on that offense. I think even if Jamar Chase has two touchdowns, say, say, say Jamar Chase has 150 yards with two touchdowns, I think we still win that game. That doesn't scare me. Right, it's the it's the 200 yard game. It's the 250 yard game. It's the four touchdown game of Jamar Chase. If we can just monitor, we don't have to shut him down. I think what we do have to do 
is we have to shut down Joe Mixon. And we've been doing a very good job of shutting down these running backs. Our front four look great, and our linebackers are really helping containing running backs and, of course, the quarterback. Like, Nick Bolin is just unbelievable. I'm so glad Nick Bolin's on, our, on this team. What are we going to do to T. Higgins, and what are we going to do to Tyler Boyd? That is going to be the X factor. So I'm looking at you, Rashad Fenton, and I'm looking at you, Legarius Sneed. Those are our two X factors. If they're healthy, if they're playing well, this game is a blowout. This game isn't close. If if those two are playing, I'll knock on wood as I say that. This game won't be close. If those two are playing, Legarius Sneed will be there. I'm not sure about Fenton, so I'll split the difference. The game will be 35 to 17. It's going to be over by the third quarter. Oh, I'll drink 35-17 through a straw. One last thing I want to point in. With 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 two touchdowns by Jamar Chase. He still has a great game, by the way. Well, I was going to say what's interesting is I like your Jamar Chase point on having to shut him down because everyone's saying the Bengals have three guys that could be wide receiver one threats on a lot of other teams in the league. True, but only one of those is Jamar Chase. And they went through a seven game stretch in the middle of the season where Jamar Chase was held under 50 yards. Uh, No, I lied. There's one with 77 yards. But during that stretch, they were four and three and the offense was really stymied. So I think you can't. What's the Hydra thing? You chop off one head, two more tickets place. Okay, but I think where you start is with the Jamar Chase head. Absolutely. I, I think I think you're right. It's going to be a great game, Kansas City. But before that game happens, still go back and watch these highlights of the Bills game because, again, you're not going to see a game better than this. And even if I split the difference, fine. Maybe it's not the greatest game ever. You're not going to see a game like this for years. Yeah. Maybe decades. Yep. Maybe decades, right? If the closest game you were talking about, Reese, was the 96 Bulls. Okay, that was a long time ago. So, Kansas City fans, enjoy this win. Keep going out. Support your local bars. Go out to Boulevard Beer. Go out to Kelly's. Go out to, you know, all these great places out in Kansas City. Enjoy. Chat with your friends. You know, live in this moment. Uh, Find out what your friends' stories are about their emotion during this game so that your children, their children's children, can tell the tale of the greatest game in Kansas City and possibly the world. We'll see you next week, Kansas City. Let's go Chiefs! like to thank you for joining us today on fountain city sports media this podcast is brought to you by listener support so consider becoming a friend of the podcast check out our patreon page at patreon.com backslash fcsm to gain access to premium content including outtakes bonus episodes and exclusive beer reviews Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.